0: Good morning, everybody. It's time for us to get our Bibles out. and We're going to study God's Word. I want to begin with a true story that took place back in 1996 with our family. We were traveling to D.C. for a family wedding, flying from Kansas City to St. Louis, where the connection was, and then on to D.C. And after we made that connection, we're flying to D.C. Captain gets on the intercom and says, well, we're going to need to go back. We're about a half hour uh, into the flight. We need to turn back because there's a problem with the landing gear. Well, we didn't think too much about it until we landed and we saw all the emergency vehicles lined up along the side of the runway. Well, we got off of the plane. We're in the terminal. We're wondering, are we going to get back on that plane? Are we going to get on a new plane? Well, the reality was they just made repairs and put us back on the same plane. As we're getting on, there are a couple of people that are a little bit uneasy about getting onto a plane that was just repaired, and they ask the flight attendant if they can get off. They just feel uncomfortable. Flight attendant says, absolutely, no problem, and they get off. As they're getting off, though, there's a woman in the middle of the plane that says, you don't have to worry. Jesus is going to take care of everybody. Jesus is going to take care of this plane. Everybody is going to be fine. Well, a couple of more people get the attention of the, uh, the flight attendant and um, ask, can we get off? And she says, yes, absolutely. And as they're getting off, the voice says again, you don't need to be afraid. Nobody needs to be afraid. Jesus is going to take care of this plane. We can trust Jesus. You got to trust Jesus. Well, after everybody, after everybody has gotten onto the plane and things begin to settle down, there's a final group that says, ah, we'd like to get off. And as they're getting off, you have the voice in the back preaching again, saying, don't worry, Jesus has got this plane. Well, just as they're about to close the door, the the flight attendant says, let me check one more time. Does anybody else feel uncomfortable and they need to get off? There's a moment of silence and then we're all shocked and we're all surprised because the preacher, the woman who was preaching in the back about trusting Jesus, says out loud, I've got to get off this plane. And it was an important lesson at that moment as I realized that our words about the faith should never be bigger than our life of faith. Now, today we find ourselves in another mode of panic, and another mode of anxiety. Things are difficult. And today we need a faith in life to meet the challenges of life. We need a faith in life to meet the challenges of faith. I have a friend who reminds me on a regular basis that life is about change, that change involves loss, and loss always brings grief. In this moment, the normal patterns, the normal rhythms of life have all been ruptured. The way we live our life has changed. Everyone is experiencing some disorientation which is not going to go away for some time. And the losses that people are experiencing in this moment, that you know this as well as I do, we, we know people who are experiencing profound loss and deep loss at this time. They're, they're too numerous to, to name. What is true, though, is that life is challenging and people are struggling. Life is a challenge and people are struggling. And then on top of that... I received an email this last week that asked the question of church leaders, how will you deal with the rise of COVID-19 related addictions? And attached to this email, there was an excerpt from a a recent webinar where a mental health expert stated that they had just read where pornography sites are giving away free membership during COVID-19, during the pandemic, which you know as well as I do, is not going to solve anything. In fact, it's going to create more problems than we had without it. In this same webinar, another expert said, and we know this to be true as well, that substance abuse is on the rise. We are also right now hearing how the stresses are affecting families from the rise of child abuse to the rise in spousal abuse and the expectation in the coming months and even in the next year of rising divorce rates. Life is challenging and people are struggling. Life is a challenge. So how does the Kingdom of God address how to live in this time of disorientation, this time of disappointment, and this time of discouragement? Well, as you know, over the next several weeks I'm going to be talking about the biblical responses to that question. The one that I want to offer this morning may be a little bit surprising. It is the biblical response to suffering that we call lament. So what is a lament? There's all kinds of ideas, usually negative ideas about lament, but what is lament really? Let me give you this definition. Lament is crying out to God for help during a life-changing crisis. Lament is crying out to God for help during a life-changing crisis. Lament is not just crying out into nothingness, it's not just crying out into the great void. It is a very realistic response to the world as it is by people of faith in God who not only believe that God is in charge of the universe, but depend on that fact to be true. It is the defiant shout of hope in the midst of woe that there is a God to whom I can bring everything and anything to in this rough spot, in this, this rough pat, patch of road that I'm going through in my life. It is one of the ways that disciples faithfully deal with suffering. We are literally in lament, taking it to God. Now remember this, a lament, and this is what, you know, lots of people really struggle with the place of lament. A lament does not betray or undermine the peace or joy in the life of a disciple of Jesus. Learning to lament biblically is about getting to that joy and that peace. Lament is about being honest about the experience of life, the problems, the suffering, the grief, the loss, the dismay that we are experiencing right now and through the lament, taking it to God in order to get back to the peace that passes understanding and the inexpressible joy. I mean, think about it this way. What makes Easter Sunday so joyful? Is it not the lament of the cross on Friday? Think about the life of Jesus. Isaiah 53, in a description of the special servant, the Messiah, that's coming, describes this special servant, the Messiah, tells us about Jesus, that He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We read this to be true in His prayer life. Think about what is said in Hebrews chapter 5 in this description of Jesus' prayer life. We read in verse 7 that during the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. He's praying fervently with cries and tears to God who can save him from death. That is the language of lament and prayer. You know, I believe that Jesus was the most effective human being who ever lived, the wisest person, the most competent person. He was not just the most faithful and perfect human being who ever lived, but the most joyful and well-adjusted human being who ever lived. And Jesus knew how to lament to God. The early church, same thing. The early church responded to the early outbreaks of persecution by praying Psalm 2, which is a royal psalm of lament. And so after the persecution begins to ramp up against the apostles and they go back to the church and they gather together for prayer, they pray the words of Psalm 2, which is a royal psalm of lament. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, these are the words from that psalm that they pray. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed. And as you know, they end the prayer with these words, verse 29... Now, Lord, consider their threats. The reality of their life right now includes threats. Now consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And as you know, God answered their prayer by shaking the walls of the place where they gathered. Now, one of the places where we learn, I think, a lot about lament, if not the most about lament, is in the Psalms. Lament makes up the greatest percentage of Psalms, about 40% or... um, Uh, close to half of the 150 psalms that we have in the Bible. And this psalm, Psalm 30, that Ethan just read is what we're going to use this morning to help us to understand the components of lifting up a lament to God during a time of disorientation. And we're going to look at it in three parts. We'll start in the middle, go to the beginning, and then to the end. And there's three verbs. It's going to be tell, praise, remember. Let's begin with that first one, tell. We're actually in verses 6 through 11. Here, the psalmist is telling his story. Once he thought nothing bad would ever happen to him. Once he thought that he was just sort of immune from anything bad happening to him because of God. And he describes his life this way in verse six. Now, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. Nothing can touch me, nothing will ever move me. But as you know, as well as I do, life happens. And the unexpected happens. And not only is it unexpected, but sometimes it's just tragic. And something bad has come at him hard and he has moved. There were enemies, verse one, enemies of some sort that have attacked him. In verse three, he describes what looks like a near-death experience to us. And it feels, and we get this because when things are going great, we feel like God is right here beside us. And when things are not going so great, we, you know, God is distant. God is nowhere, you know, where can God be found? This is what it felt like to him. It felt like God had abandoned him, that God wasn't around. It was like, verse 7, that you have hidden your face, and I was dismayed. And it was here that he turned to God and spoke with absolute, human, honest, raw emotion. In fact, it's such a raw prayer that he remembers the word as if he had spoken them the day before. In verse 9, he says, what profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Basically, the psalmist is saying, if you are God and if you are faithful, then why is this happening to me? And it's not so much a question. He's not really asking why. It's more of an indictment. If you are God, then why aren't you doing something about this? And then comes the plea in verse 10. O Lord, O Yahweh, the the, the name, the Yahweh, the, the name of relationship." that God has revealed to us, a name of intimacy. Oh, Yahweh, be my helper. And God does see the psalmist through the crisis. And the end of the story is this in verse 11, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, which leads us from telling the story to praising God. That's verses one and three. This praise that we read in the first three verses is really, it acts sort of as a capsule of the experience. It, it crystallizes everything for us. The enemies and the near-death experience creates this life-changing uh, crisis. The psalmist in the middle of the crisis cries out to God for help and God brings blessing at some point. We're not told how long it takes. There's probably an extended period of time. This is a period of time in which He is suffering, and it doesn't look like it's going away, and it doesn't look for a while that there's going to be any answer. But God eventually does bring blessing, and the weeping in the night does transform into joy in the morning. And this psalmist calls for everyone to join him in praising God for the great blessing that he has brought into his life in in raising him up from the grave and and saving him from his enemies. And it's not because it's, look what God has done for me. I'm so great. I'm the center of the universe. But what he's doing, he is so overcome by the presence of God and that peace and that joy that has come to to him as through the lament, he has turned himself towards God that he wants everyone the crowds around him to join in this this praise of God because he wants to adequately express his gratitude, adequately express the praise that is due to God. And then we come to the final part of the psalm, which is the, the last verse, verse 12, and that is, remember. What happens through this experience of the lament turning into thanksgiving and praise is that he is never going to forget the presence of God. And so he says in verse 12, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever, forever. As I end here, um, I want to give us just a couple of reasons why I think lament is important. The first is this. Lament points us back to God. There are so many ways that are offered uh, as coping mechanisms and ways to cope that sometimes don't take us very far down the road in recovery. It's in this sense that lament prepares us with a response for the the bad days that it's not if but when they come, and to burn the bridges to anything else that might present itself as an answer. Lament prepares us to see God as that answer. Secondly, lament functions in honesty. And that's how lament begins to bring the healing into our life we say around here that dysfunctionality is the inability to be honest and quite frankly there are a lot of times in your life in my life that we pray to god dysfunctional prayers we pray in the midst of our own darkness our own struggle our own grief and turmoil we pray to god as if everything is great and you know as well as i do that there's no healing without honesty I mean, we can go to the doctor and he can look at us and ask us, how are you feeling? How are you doing? And even though our left arm may be numb and our jaw killing us, we can say, everything's great, doing just fine. Doc, how are you doing? And if we are dishonest like that, then there is no healing. A lot of Christians pray the way they go to church. They, they dress up their prayers in their Sunday finest. And what lament teaches us is that there's another way to go, and it's to be honest with God. It's unfortunate to think that there, is, that, that there are some emotions that are welcomed in prayer and that there are some emotions that are not welcomed in prayer. Lament helps us to understand that messy prayers are welcome. That is one of the reasons, quite frankly, that God puts His Holy Spirit in you, is to help you through the Spirit, the Spirit groaning to you when you don't have words lament is really about entering into emotional intimacy and emotional honesty with God, who is your Father. And then finally, lament creates compassion. You know, knowing how to deal with your own suffering helps you to know how to respond to people around you who are suffering. You you begin to understand that, that the answers of God are not quick. And you can be that patient friend who sits beside somebody who is struggling and you teach them how to lament tell your story to god be emotionally honest with god and as you have done in your own life and it creates compassion in you it will do the same for that person as they go through the process of lament to peace and joy and blessing and thanksgiving in god's presence to sharing that compassion with others when churches lament in the biblical sense It becomes a prayer of protest against the way that things are and that the way things are supposed to be in God's creation. It is a refusal to be satisfied with the current state of affairs, the status quo, it is what it is, or the same old, same old in the world. Lament says we look forward to a day in which God is the author of that day and it's in that day that I will rejoice Lament is understanding that there are all of these bad things that can take place in our life, that that can try to separate us from the love of God. But in lament, in our pain, and in our honesty, and in our lamenting our feelings, and our life, and our thoughts, and our faith back to God, we understand that there is nothing that separates us from the love of God. And there is something about the love of God that gives us such a strong footing in this world. Church, let me encourage you that when you go through these tough moments or you find yourself down, be honest with God and lament. And in that lament, as God comes back into your life at some point, no one knows when, I can't tell you that it's going to be quick, but in the process of lamenting, God will take you back to a place of peace and a place of joy. Father, we are grateful for the life that we have in Christ, knowing that there is nothing that separates us from You, that in His taking all of the the things, uh, our our sin upon Him, all of the the horribleness of our lives upon Him, and, and experiencing the forsakenness, that we can know without a shadow of a doubt that we are never forsaken, And that although we are not saved from these bad things, we know that you go through the middle of them with us. And for that, we have strength and gratitude and thanksgiving in our life. Bless us as a people of light and salt in this community in showing folks how to deal with the bad days that come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day.